Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Make it kind. Make it kind. M-I-P. With Massimella Mark Thompson. Make it kind. Get woke. Coincidentally, I was in Jackson about two weeks ago, and my uh, youngest child, my 17-year-old son, was with me. And um, I said, I want to show you something. So I took him uh, to the house, uh, to Meg Ever's home, uh, which is now administered by uh, uh, Tougaloo College and is an historic site and a museum. But I wanted him to go there and see um, what had happened there and, and to hear that story and, and to, know that, to know that legacy. And we appreciate Congresswoman Norton remembering that to us. And uh, yes, we all should um, keep uh, Congressman Lewis uh, in our prayers. Um, speaking of protests, I was involved in one earlier today. There was a swarm the Senate protests, I'm sure the Congresswoman heard about it on the other side, but people swarmed the hard Senate office building to protest for there to be witnesses uh, in this trial. And uh, Reverend Barber was there. Um, and um, he is continuing a lot of the work um, that Dr. King started, the unfinished business of the Poor People's Campaign. And I'll, I'll share more about that later. In fact, Mr. President, uh, he is sponsoring um, a fellow, fellowship for college students in the Poor People's Campaign, and he brought some, some literature to share with the university. But we were there, and we were talking about John Lewis, and we had prayer for him today, even while we were at that, at that protest um, at the Capitol. But again, we thank Congresswoman Norton. Now, um, when uh, the mayor, when Mayor Pratt was organizing this event, uh, she had said to me, you know, Mark, we um, ought to have someone younger from the younger generation to talk about contemporary protest and what that means. And so I want you to help me find a young person. I can remember when the mayor used to call me and I was the young person. <laughs> but I guess I'm not no more. Amen. <laughs> so um, we were to have a representative uh, tonight from Black Lives Matter. 
uh, Sister Nene Taylor, but she is under the weather, but she sends her regards and solidarity uh, to you all and wishes she could be here. And I think, obviously, the Black Lives Matter movement is one of the most contemporary movements we have right now dealing with the issues of um, police violence. But we also have with us uh, someone to speak to us from a contemporary perspective. Now, when I was at UDC, uh, Mr. President, we didn't have uh, hip-hop professors. <laughs> we just didn't have them. That just, that just didn't exist. And Lord knows how it would have been if we had had that. We were already rabble-rousers, or we had hip-hop professors. There's no telling mm. <laughs> how that would have turned out. <laughs> right, right. So, um, uh, but there were just none here at the university. You know, we didn't, we didn't have one here. So, um, here with us tonight, he is known as Professor Lyrical. He's a mathematics professor mm -hmm. right here at the University of the District of Columbia. And, you know, as, as the congresswoman and the professor and Denise were speaking, we all know the power of culture mm -hmm. and of arts and music and poetry and expression in the movement. And that has always been the case and that has always been present. Uh, and it has always helped to get us through. So we want to hear a few words now fr from him now. And if you would, could share the impact of uh, your knowledge of the history of the march upon you and your students and how it applies today in these contemporary times. Uh, and uh, by request, uh, feel free to spit us a little something, too, if you like <laughs> Professor Lyrical. Okay. All right. Give Professor Lyrical a round of applause. Right. How y'all doing? Can you hear me? Is this good? Okay. Um, well, I might have to take you up on that, Mark. Thank you. Um, and I was telling Mark before we started, it's okay to call you Mark? Yes. All right. Um, I moved to D.C. from Boston um, in 2017. My wife is originally from the D.C. area. Her father is a, a lifelong, um, not lifelong, but a, a longtime FBI agent. Um, he worked side by side with the uh, director as his personal agent for a while. He was also involved in training. And uh, his name is Raymond Jones. And um, he's from Virginia. So my wife, when her mom passed, she wanted to move back to Virginia. And when I was looking at a, a place to transfer to, I was at Northeastern University where I had recently completed my doctorate and had been teaching for about uh, seven years. They took a chance on me while I only had a master's in mathematics, which wasn't something common at that institution to do. Um, however, I had used my platform for hip hop, rapping, speaking, um, mentoring others, uh, trying to find their voice as well. Uh, in my community, which was Lowell, Massachusetts, north of Boston. And so I kind of had to use what I had to be able to get involved, to be able to even teach into higher ed. And part of that came from my platform of hip hop. Um, I am old enough to remember the influence of Public Enemy. Um, when I was a child, uh, Chuck D uh, let me into my first concert, gave me backstage passes. I snuck into a concert I wasn't supposed to be at. Uh, fast forward to uh, about five years ago, we both spoke at a conference in Denver. Um, I was performing and speaking, and he was speaking, and we were kind of reminiscing on that situation. And you can imagine I probably stood out um, as somebody <laughs> rapping back at that time. And Chuck remembered me, and that was kind of life-changing for me um, relatively recently. Now, I wanted to, to jump forward to that just to say that um, I, I wrote a book. It was called... Um, um, put them all to shame, the curriculum. And basically what I did was in 2014-15, which helped me establish some of my platform, 
that book came out along with the album. And in the album, the, the chapters correspond to the songs. So they're packaged together. Okay? And so you can, I wrote basically my backstory. And I wrote the story of meeting Chuck D and how influential that was to me at a time where uh, um, I was just sort of forming my, my sort of direction, I guess, that I would go. I had been rapping since I was about seven, eight years old, but not with any real intent. Um, so meeting him and writing that chapter, I gave him the book when we were doing this conference together. And at the time, uh, you know, he was like, oh, thanks, this is great. For me, just getting to talk to him was a big deal, you know. So he went into his hotel room, which was diagonally across from mine, and the next morning, when we were getting ready to actually leave the conference, um, he was like, I was blown away. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> you said what? You know? And so the next day, he put on Twitter a picture of my book and the album and talking about this young raptivist, he called me. Um, a raptivist was the name he called me. And he said, uh, this rapidemic. He was using these terms to try to blend together what I was doing with hip-hop and teaching math and, you know, and, and trying to reach a, a younger generation the same way I'd been moved by him. And so when he put that on Twitter, I was just kind of blown away. It had the picture in the book and everything. And it kind of made me think about that title of Raptivist and Raptivism. And uh, I started making uh, a song um, that I was later hired to do for Emerson College um, and, uh, in 2000, well, in, at the end of 2014 um, when we were doing the 50-year celebration of civil rights. So I will do that piece, um, a little piece of that, which I must give shout-outs to President Mason, who had me uh, perform at Convocation uh, when I was first hired here as well. And I, I did a piece of that as well. That's a pretty progressive president, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Spoke a word. And, uh, and um, forgive me for jumping around there, but I wanted to set the scene because I know it's weird. I know it's weird hearing someone talk about you know, hip-hop and math and how do these blend together. And that's, that's just who I am. But that's also who our students are in many cases. Our students are vast and varied. And when I came here, the march uh, for our lives was going on. And I immediately asked one of my first classes that I got the privilege of teaching um, at the community college campus, which is at 801 North Capitol. Um, I got to ask them about that march after it happened. So I had come back into the classroom after attending the march. In fact, I was wearing the t-shirt uh, just earlier. And I asked them about the march. And no one in the classroom had been to the march that took obviously place in DC. And, but I was not shocked by that. I was not shocked by that. Because our young people who don't necessarily have the bandwidth to even be worrying about going to, to marches when their lives are so you know, uh, difficult, juggling school or, or working to be there or, or, or being you know, parents themselves, they don't always have the opportunity to do um, what you actually get to speak about, where some of them are blessed to be able to when it's immediately in their community. But this march was bigger, and we see the world stage taking hold there. And there's hip hop at this event, so this this is like flying in the face of like almost like what I stand for. Hey, like hey, you involve hip hop, kids are going to come out. Kids didn't come out. Uh, at least our students didn't come out. And I shouldn't call them kids because a lot of them were working adults. But it did make me want to address the issue and use that as almost my litmus test to see where people were at. None of them went, and most of them had not heard that it was going on, right? And that was going on right in our community. And so the question, I think, comes is like, how can we tap into the interests of young people who would want to be there if they actually had reached their radar? Because it is so noisy out there on social media. If you're on Twitter, 
If you're on Facebook, if you're on Snapchat, if you're on whatever, what have you, the gram, right? If you're on these things, the bombardment of noise is so distracting for our young people and for, for me, for, for us as, as adults, it's distracting. And trying to filter out what's going on out there, it's a shame when something like that movement actually didn't penetrate the bandwidth of our, of our students, right? So I'm always grappling with how can I grab the attention of our students about these big meaningful concepts. And it's not to say that they wouldn't have been interested. They would have. We talked about it after. I had one of the most heartbreaking conversations with a, a student in my class who lost her son to, to uh, handgun violence. And you know, hearing that is gut-wrenching, right? And, but we know those stories, and those stories happen, and they're real. But how do we find spaces in our classroom to address these things so that those students can have an outlet, find their voice, see themselves as activists like I was fortunate to be able to actually do, um, whether or not I've really earned that title or not, but just to be able to have somebody you know, put their arm on their shoulder and, and tell you, hey, I, I see you, I see what you're doing, and confirm that identity so that I can go on to do something more powerful. How do we reach students? Because a lot of times, you know, they're, they're tempted. They won't put in the headphones and tune you out, right? I've heard enough of your lecture. I've heard enough of what you're doing. How do we make it active in the classroom? So that's, that's what I grapple with. Um, and we have victories. Um, we have times where, you know, students are showing up and they are coming out. But how can we make it of interest to our immediate students that are in our vicinity and, and of part of our influence? How do we bridge the connection to a mathematic concept that I know that I have to get to, but make it relevant? And my victories have been through connecting it to hip hop culture. The positive, real tenets of hip hop culture that I've lived for my whole life um, and make it relevant to them. You know, we saw Nipsey Hussle pass away relatively recently. I know some folks, show of hands if you've never heard of Nipsey Hussle. All right, that's okay. All right, so he's a. He's passed away recently, but a lot of folks have heard of him after, after his passing. He recently won a Grammy, actually. He's kind of vindicated in a Grammy win. Uh, a brilliant artist. When I, before he passed, I was asking some people here at the University District of Columbia, we have an, uh, an artist collective that I'm a faculty advisor for. I asked many of my students, who do you look up to now, right, to get their pulse? It's not going to be Chuck D right now, right? So uh, Nipsey Hussle was on the tips of everybody's tongue, right? But yet, most adults had never heard of Nipsey Hussle. But if you did and you were able to tap into <coughs> Nipsey Hussle and put him into your classroom and your work, now your students are listening. If, if Nipsey Hussle would have been at March for Our Lives, my class would have heard about it, right? And not to say they didn't do their best and get some wonderful artists, but they might not have got the artists that were right at the pulse of the tip of the generation that needed to hear it right in our city and our community now. And I'll say our now, all right? So that's, that's a little bit of, of what I'm always grappling with. And, and my dissertation was called Increasing STEM Degree Attainment for Underrepresented Populations. I used critical race theory and hip hop culture and brought those together to, to say, what can we do to interest young people in, the, in a very vibrant, profitable industry of STEM, which is where we know everything is going. So putting the A in there and making it STEAM, the A for me, the arts being hip hop, trying to grab the attention of people that it's a social justice issue that students, especially of color, aren't looking at STEM as a viable career in enough numbers because clearly there's not enough people employed and there's certainly not enough people of color and certainly not enough uh, women as well. So if that's not on your radar, let's try to get it on the radar in a way that we can. And why not use the culture that they have high cultural capital in, which is hip hop, to help promulgate uh, some of the, the, the wonders of STEM. So that's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> um, so. 
I'll give you a piece. All right? First, let us remember, it is not possible to have an appreciation for the amalgamation of civil rights legislation and outcomes without first pausing to remember the assassination of black leaders like Martin and Malcolm. Now, son, please do not confuse my passion for African-American activism as passivism for when I witnessed the division in classes and passing kids at the cafeteria split up more painful than sadomasochism. Listen, if Brown v. Board of Education put an end to segregation and tell me why I see no brown-skinned faces sitting at this table with all these Megans. <laughs> Face it. You have locked yours at one time or another when a brother from a different color has approached your door. Even though it's not 1954 no more, sometimes it sure feels like only a few years before 64. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, we made improvements, but we got further to go until. I no longer need to be proved my baby boy might grow up just like Emmett Till. Still, I have to teach him stand his ground for all these racists. Might attempt to make him turn it down like Jordan Davis. And these are just the faces on the news that never famous. But for every Trayvon Martin, there's 100 unsolved cases. Mass incarceration now replaces the plantations. Boatloads of African-Americans like slave ships. So thanks, Miss Alexander. But we got much worse than before because now they literally making billions on the job for Unicor. Dressed in uniforms. For sure, at some federal institutions. Civil rights are well denied by this legal prostitution. So what's the solution? I say let's start with college presidents. <laughs> the ivory tower needs more melanin. Oh, let me say that again. The ivory tower needs more melanin. I guess I was nervous looking right at you. Right? <laughs> the ivory tower needs more melanin, more estrogen, more feminine. And just in case you might have confused me as a new version for some Eminem, <laughs> I've never candy-coated up my lyrics. What's the benefit? <laughs> See, that would be irrelevant in a time when non-intelligent lyrics and rap music is what they peddling as the precedent, suppressing the positive messaging of the original four elements that's hip-hop as a culture now subjected to their censorship. Well, I am here self-evident, no cursing, non-repetitive, and instead of just battling rappers, well, these days I'd rather mentor them. Against all these impediments and prejudice confederate flags, they flew with pride as they tried to produce evidence of race superiority, of race inferiority through the majority of schools, them trying to civilize the natives and prove Africans were fools. See, these universities were tools for the racist spewing madness, but before these land-grant colleges, well, there was nothing much for blackness. I said before Barack Obama, <laughs> there was nothing much for blackness. And until he caught Osama, well, there was not much like the basket. But now he got me asking, who's accountable at the moment? For human rights, it's unacceptable. Guantanamo is still open. <laughs> still, he got me hoping civil rights are not ignored. Sure, 1010 is not the answer, but at least the minimum is now more. So what do we have in store for all these kids from urban areas when separate is not equal, but the schools are still inferior? The barrier for becoming a college or science mathematician is when kids are passing calculus but cannot do addition. <laughs> See, when I was young in school, I used to listen to new addition. I was like, can you stand the rain? <laughs> yeah. Everybody knows. No, let me stop. But I wanted to be just like them. If they told me, I'd have listened. So my question is, where are the role models, the actors, the models, the producers from tomorrow? Show our young scholars that there's honor in a way to clock them dollars beyond just popping collars or beyond just popping bottles, beyond Beyonce on a surfboard. There's more to work for than McDonald's. See, we can solve our problems with a different point of view. More diversity, our scientists are way too far and few. So who will be responsible for the future generation? Respecting education starts with teachers, how we pay them. 
So let's pay some attention and keep up the vigil fight till a health and wealth disparity is not a blemish for civil rights. Professor Lyrical, thank you, thank you. Yeah, we heard about you. All right, now we know. Um, so in the interest of time, I do have a couple of uh, brief follow-up questions, but I want people to go ahead now and assemble at the microphones. If you have questions for any of our panelists, uh, just go ahead and line up. And as you come, I'm gonna have, have asked the first question of Congresswoman Norton who really blessed us with that very rich history of how her life intersected with the history of the modern civil rights movement. Congresswoman Norton, um, I'd love to hear how your experiences um, before, during, and after 63 continue to reside with you now and guide with you, guide you, I should say, and I wonder if sometimes Nowadays, when you're walking those uh, halls of Congress, you don't sometimes feel like you're back in Mississippi. No, I don't. No, I don't. <laughs> There's nothing to equal being in Mississippi, uh, especially when you're in the majority. Now, I don't feel like I'm in Mississippi. I feel like finally Democrats took control of the House of Representatives. Uh, the fact is that uh, uh, the the civil rights movement prepared me for life, for all that I have done afterwards. Growing up in Washington, I'm a third generation Washingtonian, in a segregated city, going to segregated schools, uh, taught me all I needed to know. So that uh, going to Congress, I went to Congress with that history, uh, and now I'm applying that history to my next goal, and that is to make the District of Columbia the 51st state of the United States. And that is, that is the next frontier in, um, in, in civil rights. Uh, one, one amendment to what I said earlier. I said when I was here, we didn't have hip hop professors, but let me just be correct on history. There, the UD, one of the UDC's predecessor institutions was Federal City College. They were the Panthers before Wakanda in the movie, right? <laughs> All right, the original Panthers. Now, uh, one of the professors and one of the teachers at uh, Federal City College was Gil Scott Heron. Yes. So, yes. amen, I just wanted to point that out. My sister, your question. Um, I don't really, I don't really have much of a question. I just wanted to let you all know um, how appreciative that I am that you all came out here and to just kind of let you all know um, a bit of why this is so important. I know it's a lot for, like I'm born and raised here from Northwest DC. Um, in 2011, my sister was murdered on my, um, she's my cousin, but my sister, she was murdered on my aunt's porch on Sherman Avenue. Um, at that time, we were graduating from Cardoza Senior High School. And after that, I wasn't going to school, I wasn't doing anything. I didn't care, I was depressed. Um, I, my um, my um, principal at the time, they paid for me to go to prom and everything, encouraged me to go. I set a year out, then enrolled into the community college and legal assistance. Um, I got my um, associates in legal assistance in 2016. Prior to that, I had no interest in the government. I had no interest in, only thing I knew was it was Democrats and Republicans, and I wasn't a Republican, <laughs> you know. And um, like I had no knowledge of anything, the structure or anything. 
um, before getting my degree. I've since I just got my bachelor's here in political science in December of um, 2019. Thank you. Um, after giving birth to my daughter in 2017, she's now two. She's been going to school with me since she was three months old. Um, but it's different sitting in Cardozo Senior High School and hearing your history and hearing the things that you have done and it's, it resonates so so differently and it's so inspiring to a young, I'll stand here at 26 today. Mm-hmm. And um, in June, I founded a um, nonprofit organization called Capital City Soul with a few um, other young people to um, get involved in the, in the city because we're fighting two different wars. We have politics here, but we have the streets here. My little brother was murdered in September of 19th of this, of 2019. Mm. He was involved in that um, six um, person shooting that happened on, in Columbia Heights. And to them, that's a whole nother war. Like he said, it doesn't resonate with them. So what I do now as a young woman is trying to find a way to bring those worlds together and show them why it is relevant that you are. Like I get up every morning, I look at my daily news on BBC. If I'm watching anything, it's MSNBC, BBC, or HDTV. You got to throw something in it. But, <laughs> but all in all, this for me, like I had no other reason to be here other than the fact that I wanted to. And I'm glad that I did come because I got to listen to you all and um, thank you. Because <laughs> I will be one of the individuals that take this city on forward and I'm proud of it. That's right, that's right. Thank you, sister, we're very proud of you. Thank you, thank you. Yes, sir. First of all, I'd just like to thank all of you all for being here, for our former mayor putting this uh, presentation on and Ms. Bassett with your committee. But I just wanted to say to uh, Congressman Norton, uh, I had the opportunity of taking care of uh, James Foreman and uh, Farmer, and um, I just wanted to know your aspects of, between him and Dr. King, because he used to tell me some things about him and Dr. King. What's your fond memories of the differences between the two gentlemen? You mean Jim Foreman, who was the head of... He, head of he, he was the Snake. head of stack. He was the Treasurer executive Snake. director, as right. it were. By the way, he has a son who teaches or somewhere who's an intellectual. Um, Jim Foreman was older than the rest of us Mm. and knew how to run something. He kept SNCC together and was really critical. When the chairman of SNCC changed from year to year, um, our former mayor was the first chairman of SNCC. He's really from down there, it's Tennessee or somewhere down there. Memphis. So I'm glad you raised Jim Foreman because his name is less well known, but he was the glue. With all these students, sometimes they go back to college. Uh, some of them dropped out of college. No expertise whatsoever. So this strong black man, he and his wife, came down to the South. He didn't really run SNCC but he knew how to make SNCC think it was running itself. And, and it's a very important name to, to raise up. Thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, Jim Foreman Jr. is at Yale. That's where he is now. Yeah. He's teaching law at Yale. Uh, Brother Duno? Peace to everyone. Um, since the protocol has already been set, I won't get into the details, but I would just like to say I'm thankful for being a graduate of 1982 of the College of Education and Human Ecology. Why that? Um, I'm going to direct this question directly to whomever want to ask it, but I want to specifically state uh, to the professor of lyricists that uh, James Sylvester Gates, the physicist of symmetry, 
uh, some of us call that whatsoever it is in the STEM, and since people know that I'm of the University of the District of Columbia, we put the A, we put the A of agri, which is agriculture, mm. which includes art. But the question is, uh, Dr. Um, uh, uh, Professor, uh, President Mason, and to uh, my elders, may I have the right to continue to speak? Yes. Excuse me. Um, but anyway, well, what happens is that Dr. James Sylvester Gates, being a physicist, he introduced uh, the Adinkra symbols in the teaching of physics because of the symmetry that comes out of Ghana, West Africa. Hmm. And um, we just give you a little kudu, uh, Professor Lyricist, because it can be done. Hmm. Because when I taught at Garfield Elementary School, we did hip hop, mm -hmm. high into poetry, healing our people mm -hmm. in the circle of life back during the late 80s and the 90s. It can be done. Mm -hmm. And hopefully we will have an institute at the University of the District of Columbia. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I want to ask this one other follow-up. I'm, I'm coming back and forth. Professor, um, you talk a lot about the history of, um, no, this professor, I'm sorry, Dr. Arneson. <laughs> I'm looking at the other one. Dr. Arneson, yeah. Um, I see you, you impressed him. I said, Professor, you look yeah. right at you. Uh, the, um, you talked about the history of, of protest. You gave you know, the long uh, history of protest and other aspects and, and the role of, of organized labor um, as well. Where do you think the power of protest stands today? Is it as significant as it has always been? And is labor as significant in it as it once was. And I mean, I acknowledge that there has been a pushback and basically a war on organized labor in this country going on probably since Ronald Reagan was president, if, if not before, but, but it's been ongoing pretty much since then. But where is that today? Is that power still there? To a degree, but nothing like it once was. You're right, the organized labor movement, certainly since Reagan, but even from the 1970s onward, uh, has been subject to an attack by the business class uh, that has eroded its foundation, decimated its, uh, its membership, uh, and if you add the larger process of deindustrialization and capital flight, uh, has sort of eviscerated the core strength. Uh, at the same time, new unions emerge, New sectors emerge, you know, justice for janitors, service workers, uh, hotel and restaurant workers, um, uh, and the labor movement today is much more diverse uh, than it uh, ever has been before, but its numbers are down uh, and its strength is down. It still plays a role within the Democratic Party, uh, but not to the degree I think that it once did. As for the larger role of, of protest, um, I have to believe that it absolutely matters um, it is a way of citizens raising their voices and making themselves heard, but it's sort of also necessary, I think, for people themselves, especially these days, of keeping our hope alive. Yeah. Uh, there's not a lot to be hopeful about uh, at this moment and many, many reasons to be depressed uh, and protesting both as a way of making one's voice at least partially heard, but it's also finding other people yeah. who feel the same way and sustaining spirits, making connections, building bridges, uh, and hopefully furthering the movement going forward. All right. 
Thank you, Doctor. And also, you mentioned, you all heard him when he said he's been involved in a few protests of late. Did you want to disclose what those were or no? <laughs> oh, a few weeks ago, um, uh, you know, after uh, the rain of missiles uh, uh, in, in Iraq, uh, there was a gathering on Capitol Hill. Many members of Congress were out uh, speaking. Um, so that was my most recent uh, demonstration. All right. Very good. Yes, sir. So I just want to raise a question about increasing um, sanitization of uh, Martin Luther King's legacy, because I think the most... <clears throat> courageous thing Martin Luther King did was not the march on Washington or going to jail, uh, getting arrested. Medgar Evers, the Rosa Parks, there were many people who did that in some ways maybe even more effectively. I think the most courageous thing Martin Luther King did was standing up to Johnson on Vietnam and declaring the, the evil of militarism. But militarism is not just evil, it's a disease. It's worse than cancer, it's worse than AIDS, it's worse than any mental health disorder. It represents a collective psychosis, and we're not dealing with it. We are not naming it, and that would be the most important thing we can do to honor the legacy of Martin Luther King. And just one thing, when I heard there's a Navy ship being named after John Lewis, I don't think Martin would have been cool with that. Hmm. Okay. Um, Denise, you spoke about perception and media and how certain things are portrayed. Uh, we talk about Dr. King in, in this birthday month of his and the March on Washington, but uh, without the likes of you here, you know, there are some who think that that was the only speech he gave. Can you speak to that and the importance and the role you and black media have also played in keeping that broader legacy alive? Well, I want to go back to this gentleman's point, and, and I think that uh, I'll just, I'm going to start with just what, what we've been doing here in D.C. and having these conversations that began to take place uh, in November or December Oh, it's the Martin Luther King holiday. We need to get ready to do something to honor this great civil rights uh, hero. And then there's not a lot of education. There's not a lot of dialogue. There's not a lot of digging into those speeches, of reading the books, of listening, listening to his speeches, and to understand what his position was on a broad range of issues, including uh, statehood for the District of Columbia. Um, so it, it does concern me because there is this sort of, um, we don't, it's like, it's like Christmas, <laughs> you know, we just go out and buy gifts and then come back and celebrate, but there's no deep dive into the life and legacy of Dr. King. And so I think that one of the things that we as black press need to do is more of what you're, you're asking me about, and that is the, uh, having uh, dialogue, uh, having uh, authorities, professors, others who researched him to really contribute articles to us that really examine what Dr. King's position was on many issues. I mean, we had someone, uh, and Peggy knows this, who, um, and, and we, as far as this parade is concerned, I have to say that we're very, very appreciative of everything 
uh, this mayor has done to support us in this effort. Um, and the fact that without even requesting it, um, we have the Metropolitan Police Department who ends up, who starts off the parade, who leads us out. Now the Peace March leads them, and we're going to do more of that. But then comes MPD and also uh, uh, Coast Guard and other military type organizations. And we have very, very heavy debates about that. What would Dr. King have wanted? Would he have wanted all of this military involvement mm. in a tribute to him? Mm. And so we've gone out and asked people, like your buddy, Dr. Ben Chavis, who said to us, while the police were sometimes perceived as the enemy of the civil rights movement, Dr. King always confided in them when he was taking people out to march. They were protectors when, he, when, when they were organizing. And so there was not, there was a, a um, I don't know the correct phrase to use, but there was a, a respect, you know, for the movement and for having these officers involved. So yeah, I mean, it's important to have these conversations, not just the month before the holiday and the month after. And to ensure that uh, uh, we raise up what Dr. King stood for in every issue. And, and I, I do believe that there's still a strength in marching. Yeah. I do believe that people feel so helpless in a lot yes. of issues that this is all they can do. Mm -hmm. What troubles me, again, is just the fact that we don't always have, uh, it, it, like the young lady, where did she go? Anyway, who lost her, her, her siblings. Um, we don't understand the law. We don't understand public policy. We don't understand the economics. And so we get you know, sort of excited about an issue. We jump out there, we come back, and then the work, the real work is yet to get done. And so um, I'm not sure if I answered your question, but that yeah, is what no, was on my heart. Answer, okay. Yes, ma'am. Hi, how are you guys doing? My Hi. name is Tamara, and um, so my chapter of Delta Sigma Theta here at the university, we actually had the opportunity to be a part of the MLK parade on his day. And I just need some guidance from you guys because I was like extremely overwhelmed. So like we were like behind the alphas, and I'm just like, we're marching from Good Hope Road like up to St. Eve's and I just became overwhelmed mid-March because it's like what are we doing as a young generation like if they were out here marching protesting like what can we do like seriously like besides you know you might get with your sorority I chose mine because you know the public service aspect of it the advocacy piece of it the revolutionary woman piece of it but like as a young woman I just need some tips on like how can we strategize, how can we mobilize? Because like I was overwhelmed. I'm like, like we're the spoiled generation. We literally did not have to do the things that you guys did. And I just almost like felt bad because we don't do things like that, like as the youth. So besides Black Lives Matter, you know, we all know that. But like as far as like on a university level, on a strategizing level, on a mobilizing level, is there any tips that you can give? 
like us university students that might say, hey, you know, we do think we need to be a state. Should we storm down the city council building? Probably not. Mm. But like, like how would like us as undergraduate students like do it? Because I was like really overwhelmed. I'm like, oh my God, like we are so far behind. Like, so I just need some tips. I, I can try. I don't know if I'll. Yeah. Uh, Please. Um, a couple of things, a couple of things that jump out is uh, when I so I was telling y'all a little bit when I moved here from Boston, right? I came mm-hmm. here in D.C. and I'm like, what's unique about D.C.? Obviously, the Capitol being right here, right. and I drive by every day by the Supreme Court, see the Capitol building on the way in every every morning, right? And as an MC who's somewhat uh, as a rapper, right? One of the things I've always done is always look for a way to um, to get the message out. Now, when I drive by every morning and I see a hundred cameras, right, at like eight in the morning, I'm always asking myself, do people in D.C. ever, like, let's say somebody's got a dope freestyle, right, or they got like, a, like an ill verse. That they want. I could go say that verse right. any morning, right, when there's like a, uh, there's going to be like something going on in the Capitol Hill, which there always is. There's a hundred cameras out there in their break. I'm pretty sure if I jumped out of my, my car and just started busting a rhyme like that, there's going to be some attention, right? So I would think like strategizing about how you can grab attention and use what you have. Like, like use what you have, right? Here at the university, right? Uh, excuse, excuse my French, but students need to know how to pimp college, right? They need to know how to take everything they can that they've paid for at the university, like showing up for this. There's free food over there, right? Like, come get your free food, right? Like, build an app that tells other people that there's free food there and that they're going to give it away. Actually, we should do that as faculty, right? Let students know, like, hey, there's free food in in room three. Um, There are apps like that out there, right? Like, I would get together with the tech people, and I would say, what app could we build? Like, we got this great idea. Who can we build it with? And really get a grant person on your side, too, who can apply for the grant. Because the money is out there for young, fresh, vibrant ideas, right? College, universities have all sorts of things you can take advantage of. You can form, like you were talking about a club, right? The clubs have budgets. Mm -hmm. You have people in the club. Now you wield some power and influence. I tell my club all the time, like, hey, we got this little, you know, few thousand dollar budget. What are y'all going to do with this budget that can make it work for you? Right. right. Make the club that says exactly what you just said, if you haven't already, and promote that. Get people to come. Get some, I'll rap for you, right? I'll come out and I'll do a rhyme for you. Get someone else to say the message and get as much attention as you can for it. That, that's my, my advice. Grants, get up with tech that can make it. You, you can make that happen. You can apply for the grant. Get some attention. Use the power of hip-hop and dance, like you're saying, and put it together. I think that's powerful. Um, one other thing I would add, as I said, this is a good time to mention this. And you want to, if you want to come get one of these now, you can. Uh, I give you a couple of them. I'm going to give you the rest. Uh, any other students here? The uh, Reverend Barber and the Poor People's Campaign are sponsoring a student organizing fellowship program, and they are picking up where Dr. King left off. Dr. King did not end the Poor People's Campaign. He was assassinated. His movement did not. He didn't just say, "I'm tired. I'm going home." He was assassinated. So Dr. Barber is picking up where he left off. And if there are other students, I'm going to leave, this, um, uh, leave some of these with the president and with the professor. So if you have uh, uh, students who uh, take those two, Mr. Mason, Dr. Mason, right. and if you all have students, and those of you who are elders who know students to participate in that, um, please, uh, please do so. Uh, gonna move I, I just wanna real quick. Okay, real quick. Really We're almost out of time. Yeah, I'm sorry. But. Um, 
of all people, I'm just shocked that you're thinking the Deltas aren't involved because the Deltas, are, if, I'm not a sorority person, but you know, they are the most active organ, uh, 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 Greek letter organization that I know of. You all are very, very engaged in the community. And, um, you know. Now, now any other Deltas in here, are there? She's the only one? <laughs> just one Delta? Okay. No offense, I didn't, I, I didn't think there were too many here. Okay. You know, no offense, no offense. <laughs> I don't see any. I didn't see any more deltas when I asked raise hands. I, I'm just messing with y'all. Uh. But I, I would just, I would just encourage you because while we had, while there are a lot of young people who come out and participate, you know what we're trying to do. Uh, one of our biggest challenges in this city, I think, is trying to get young people who are in the high school level to earn their 100 hours of community service to get out of, got out, to get out of high school. Yeah. And you all can help them to do that. Whatever you create, partner with the high school, partner with some students there and tell them, look, I mean, it's hard for us to do it, but you might be able to do that. Your sorority sisters might say, let's pick a high school, Roosevelt, Blue, Dunbar, whatever, and say, we got a project, we need some kids, we can give you all community service and we, and, 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 Jointly, you'll learn how to make a difference in the community. And Dr. King's, you know, holiday was a day on, not a day off. That's right. We, we did our parade stuff, but really, there's a lot of community service that was done on that day, and that still needs to be done. But you need to partner with younger people so that they can earn their community service, so they can graduate from high school. That's right. That's right. Uh, I'm just teasing the deltas. My <laughs> grandmother pledged delta, graduated from Tennessee State University in 1935. So know about that real quick uh, I want let's get do these very I'm gonna do all these together and then let everybody answer them all together okay. so real quick if you don't mind please we're sure, almost out of time sure, thank you yeah sure I um, some of my uh, question may have been answered with the last one but I wanted to ask if you could compare or contrast the 21st century marches with the effectiveness I guess of the 20th century marches okay so we'll come back to that yes ma'am your question well I'd like to just first of all thank you for this but also I th if, I'm so glad to hear the students talking about being involved. One way that could be done is they could join, you could have representatives from UDC in this group. Yes, because you guys have the experience to know how to kind of do things. Yes, and so I would really, and I, th another thing you could do is every Thursday night at New York Avenue Presbyterian Church, we have a tutoring program for DC uh, public school and public charter school students. It's one-on-one. -on -one. one of our co-directors went through the program and is now the co-director. So that's the, took us 50 years, but you know, we did it. So <laughs> I just, I'd like to encourage you to do this. During the school year, we start the end of August and go till graduation. Come to the award ceremony on the Thursday before Memorial Day and see the seniors and their tutors talk, because they stay with the same, you'll stay with that student. Some of our tutors have stayed for like 10 years. Kid came in real young, because some of the kids bring their siblings, siblings. you know, young kids. Mm -hmm. So, but I, that's where we've got to have more mix, if you see what I mean, to get the, this kind of thing done. A little thing on rap. I have a lot of trouble hearing, and unless it's slower, <laughs> and I, I hate to own up to this, 
Pro professor, do you teach people how to rap? Do you ever do that? Yeah, yeah not, not, not here in the classes or, or, or not yet. So you need to teach her how to rap. Absolutely. Yeah. For herself and her audience. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. We need a grandma rapper. Yeah, yeah. We need a hip hop grandma like you. So why don't we put y'all together? We're going to call you up on that and get you involved, okay? Lucky me, okay. So then you can hear it and others like you who have trouble can hear it as well. You need to speak that language. Let's give her a round of applause. Brother, your question, and we'll get yours answered too, my man. Go right ahead. Hey, guys. Uh, my name is uh, Kenneth. Um, I guess this is a question for the professors um, uh, directly. Uh, how can we get universities to have um, business owners who can teach uh, young Americans how to grow a business? Um, because I've been to multiple universities. Um, I went to Virginia Wesleyan University, um, just became a university. I w I've been to um, in classrooms with Richmond, as well as um, Howard, and mm. a, a lot of the you know, um, professors don't actually own a business. Yeah. So, if you think about it, it's really people teaching them to uh, work for another business. If that makes yeah. sense, right? Which is not a bad thing. People can be an executive, but how do you think we can incorporate <coughs> that uh, into our schools, yep. universities, or um, our high schools? Because Dr. King wanted us to have ownership, too. Uh, first question, though, that was asked, compare and contrast 20th century March, 21st century, Dr. Arneson, effectiveness, which is more, which is less? So there were, I don't know, countless marches in the 20th century, and there will probably be countless marches in the 21st century. So it's hard to draw a kind of a sweeping comparison. But one specific aspect of some marches in the 60s has to do with their being keyed toward very specific demands uh, about legislative change. So the March on Washington in 63 was in part about Kennedy's civil rights bill, a bill that John Lewis initially said, I cannot support, for it does too little uh, uh, and it's too late. Uh, but ultimately, it put pressure on the administration uh, to, to bring that legislation forward and to fight for it aggressively. Uh, and to include a fair employment aspect, which Congresswoman uh, Norton mentioned, uh, was, became the EEOC. One, one point about the earlier, um, uh, an earlier question um, that I would add to the, kind of the mix of, of what can be done, uh, and that's a plug for my discipline, uh, and that is history. Uh, and when I study A. Philip Randolph, mm. in many of his speeches, um, uh, he drew heavily on African-American and, to some degree, labor history. And at one point in the 60s, he said, we are the creatures of history, by which he meant we are standing on the shoulders of generations that precede us. Of our ancestors. Uh, of our ancestors. Uh, uh, and knowing that history, and knowing that history of resistance, uh, that history of protest, how it actually helped to change America and inform the movements that you are a part of, I think is key. All too often, I think, when I was in college, what we were doing, we were the first people to be doing these things. It wasn't true. Mm -hmm. uh, and so knowing the history of protest, knowing the history of civil rights, will at least allow you to place what you're doing in a context and allow you to draw strength uh, from those who have fought the good fight for so long before. Um, the second question, uh, teaching business ownership and entrepreneurship. Yeah, I, I, th I think that, um, um, I don't want to hog it all, but I would say a little bit about it, is that we actually have something in the district here, it's called, uh, uh, that we're, we're working with, it's called NEPRIS, 
and I don't know if you're familiar with it, but um, I had an opportunity to go to a uh, Aussie meeting, which is the Office of the State Superintendent of Education, in conjunction with some of our CTE programs that we have at the university, the career and technical education programs, of which business fits the mold. Um, so first, I would say that NEPRIS is, a, is an app, and we, we, it's partly connected through the high schools um, here in the, in the district. And it's a platform, I should say. And behind the scenes, what it really is is a platform that um, uses uh, the ability of, it's almost like a date site. It's like it matches up public speakers with faculty, right? But you could be a public speaker on there. You could actually go on and request, I want a guest to come in my classroom, let's say, um, and speak to me about business. Or you could tell your teacher to sign up for, or your faculty to sign up for NEPRIS. And you can have that expert in that discussion. So you could say, I want to know more about entrepreneurialism in my business class. And all of a sudden now you have a bona fide matchmaking scheme that goes out and finds the expert in that field. You can either go on and sign up as the expert or you can sign up as typically faculty would do that. So it's something to let faculty know. I do faculty development here as well. And it's something we try to let the faculty know that, hey, we want to get a guest in your class. You can do this. It's free and it uses the Zoom platform, uh, so it's real kind of easy to use. Uh, second thing I would say is we do have a couple of things in place. I mean, the equity imperative here, which uh, President Mason was talking about uh, today, actually, for another assembly, um, we're really trying to you know, think about those things comprehensively. We have a partnership uh, with um, Guardian Life Insurance, so actually one of the partnerships that they're trying to do, and they've made this UDC a, a place that they've actually invested into pretty heavily, um, but not to overly promote that, but what they're essentially doing is they're making business finance courses free. So a lot of the students at the community college, it's the only class that you can take for free. We have these at multiple sites in high schools, but we also have them here at, at, at the college and university. So that business finance course is dedicated to entrepreneurialism, understanding how to manage your money, not get in credit card schemes and debt and so forth. So those are just a couple things that I know that we have, but I think we need obviously much more. And, and again, I'd go back to clubs too, like as many clubs as you can do that can tap into that. And you can demand that yourself if you get the club of people that want to do a, a one that focuses on that and bring those kind of speakers to speak directly to you. Um, but reach out to okay. faculty too who would be mentors. As well. We, we got to go. To 30 seconds. 30 seconds. There are programs that exist, NEPRIS, NEFTI, whatever, NIFTI, there are lots of programs in the school system that already exist. Mm. Um, my son who came through NIFTI was also a part of, was one of the young men mentored at your program. And as it relates to uh, then and now, social media, we hate it, but it's one of the greatest organizing tools that this generation uh, has to uh, organize and people can march with their thumbs hmm. right. and really make a difference. You you chomping you get raise it real quick. undergrad here at the University of District of Columbia, there is a, they do have a program here, it's an entrepreneurship club over in the business. And while I was a student, they recognized that I own my own business. So I and several other uh, people in the class were there and I also talked to them about how to register your business because I basically focus yeah, on the government business. and right. things like that. So there is a club over on the business building and I was, I'm a master's of science, I'm not even mm -hmm. business. And I just so happened to join the entrepreneurship club over there. So there are yeah. wealth of information over there. So it's a club. Well, thank you all. The next big march in town is June 20th. 
Reverend Barber's Poor People's Campaign and Moral Congress. Can somebody come take these and pass these out to everyone? My brother, would you mind doing that? Reverend Barber sends his love and wish that he could be here as well. But that's the next big march in D.C. coming up this summer. Uh, let's thank our panelists, Professor Lyrical, Denise Rolock Barnes, Dr. Eric Arneson. Give them a round of applause. Thank you to the MLK Holiday Commission. And we want to bring Mayor Pratt back up. Now, hold, tomorrow's your birthday? <laughs> but it's tomorrow your birthday? Well, no, can I do something though? No, we just want to wish you a happy birthday. Can we do that? Yeah. Everybody stand up. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you, everybody. It was a great panel. And uh, thank you all out here in the audience. Uh, for a great evening, a stimulating conversation, and a great job, Mark. All right, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Also, subscribe to Make It Plain and Get Woke daily. Check out makeitplain.com to subscribe. If all minds are clear, it has been made plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.